All right, good morning. Actually, good afternoon, church. How are you doing today? Are you well? Are you awake? God's not dead? Amen, amen, amen. Well, hey, welcome out to the Springs. We're so glad you're here with us. Uh, if you're new here, we want to make this church your church. Uh, so please don't be in any rush to leave after the service. We want to connect with you. We also have a really cool free gift for you. Uh, if you're not new, welcome back. I see some season ticket holders in this general area right here. Welcome back. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, shout out to Pastor Peter Dusan. Like you said in the video, he's actually not here. He's in San Antonio uh, serving our sister church, Luminous. So Peter, if you're listening, we love you. I love you, man. Uh, I wouldn't be here without you. And this church is better because of you and your wife. Can we give it up for Peter? Thank you, Peter. All right, so these past four weeks, we've been in this God's Not Dead series. Uh, and the whole overarching theme of this series has been, who is Jesus? Uh, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, uh, who, this question of who is Jesus is probably the most important question ever asked. Uh, because depending on how you answer this question, it determines everything about you. If you say yes to Jesus, there's also some uh, eternal benefits uh, at stake. You know, you spend an eternity with God in heaven, but if you say no to Jesus, you'll be eternally separated from God. How you answer this question determines how you live your life on earth, whether it be for him or not for him. And so this is a very important question. And, and throughout the past four weeks, we've been looking at who is Jesus in our emotional well-being, how do we reconcile who Jesus is to our emotions? How do we reconcile who Jesus is in our suffering when we don't understand what God's doing? How do we, how do we look at who Jesus is uh, in, in, in that? Who is Jesus historically? Did he exist? Was he real? Uh, and we've been examining the evidence for our faith. And by this point in our journey, I hope that we can all conclude uh, as a church or maybe you've been joining us uh, that God's not dead. But this, this begs a, another question. Knowing that God's not dead, I want to ask you this. Well, is he alive in you? And here's the premise that I want to speak to you from, if I may. And it's this. Having the knowledge of God not being dead isn't enough to make you come alive. You have to know God personally. Read that again. Having the knowledge of God not being dead isn't enough to make you come alive. You have to know God personally. And here's what I'm not saying, church. I'm not saying that uh, maybe you have like the best philosophy and apologetical grip on uh, the existence of God and you're really good at debating atheists. That's awesome if you do. But we can't place our hope uh, in a knowledge of God to transform us. It's a relationship with God that makes us come alive. It's a relationship with Jesus that gives us life. And so I want to make an argument for this. I want to show you this by really narrowing in on the Apostle Peter's life uh, and see where he was at when Jesus called him from a fisherman to be a fisher foreman, to be this apostolic forerunner for the church in Acts. And I want to narrow in on his life and show you that even though Peter had a brilliant knowledge of who Jesus is, it was his relationship with Christ that made him come alive. It was his relationship with Jesus that defined him. And I have two goals for you. If you're not a Christian, I hope that I can convince you. I hope that I can show you who Jesus is and that you'll enter into a relationship with him. 
Maybe you do know who Jesus is. Maybe this isn't an old question for you. I hope that I can encourage you to continue to ask yourself, well, who is Jesus today? Because we can never stop asking ourselves this question. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 16. Go ahead and and put your Bibles in the air. Okay, no one. A a lot of phones over here. Wave them like you just do care. Tough crowd. I'm going to stop. Matthew chapter 16. Christian jokes. You think it works sometimes at church. Um, This is what verse 13 says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, verse 17. And Jesus answered, him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. With the remaining time I have with you, I want to bring this idea that I introduced to life by showing you Peter's life and who Jesus was in the midst of that. So if you're with me, say amen. amen. If you're not with me, don't say anything. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, God. I pray that this word may come alive in our hearts, God. And that you even begin to transform us right now from the inside out. I pray that we leave different today, God. And that we may love you more than we did before. You're not dead, Father. So I pray that you come alive right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 16 is going to be one of my favorite chapters. Uh, And here's why. It's because Jesus is having this uh, conversation with his disciples. And he asks them this question, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And and if we're not careful, we can kind of blow over this, because this title, Son of Man, carries a lot of significance. It's actually the title that Jesus would use to refer to himself personally the most. It's a prophetic title. It's a title that uh, that was assigned to the Christ, to the Messiah. Uh, It carries this this weight that, uh, that Christ, I'm sorry, was fully God and fully human. And it was a title that outraged the Pharisees. Here's why. Uh, Earlier in in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralytic. No big deal. That's what Jesus does. But after that, it's where it gets kind of controversial. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And this is what makes the Pharisees mad. They say, who has the authority on earth to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus comes out and says, well, uh, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And, and in this moment, he's claiming to be God. And this outraged the Pharisees. And so these are the kind of questionable things that, that Jesus was doing all throughout his ministry. I mean, you can like just, just barely like skim through the book of Matthew, and, and you'll see like some of the uh, weird, questionable things that like a Jewish carpenter was doing. We knew who his father was, but every now and then he would like resurrect a dead girl. Or like, you know, heal blind eyes. Or feed thousands of people. Uh, Which, side note, I still have this theory that with one meal swipe, freshman, Jesus can feed 5,000 students. So where's your faith today? (laughs) No, but this is the stuff Jesus is doing, man. And and it's, it's amazing. It's incredible. He's walking on water. Who does that? And so obviously, of course, he's the talk of the town. And people want to know. Who is this guy? And Jesus wants to know, who are people saying that I am? And so he asks his disciples. And so his disciples are saying, well, well, rumor has it that some say you're, I don't know, Elijah. 
or, or you're John the Baptist, or, or you're Jeremiah. Okay, okay, those, that's not who I am, but all right. And if we were to just like stop there and not continue to read what Peter said about Christ, we could have left it there and said, man, those are some pretty good answers. Because there was a lot of biblical uh, evidence that suggested maybe Jesus could have been Elijah. Maybe he could have been Jeremiah or he could have been John the Baptist because these guys had a prophetic role to play uh, in, in, in the coming of Christ. They all had these, these prophetic assignments to fulfill. And so people are thinking, man, maybe this is the guy that's going to pave the way for the Christ. And what's interesting to notice is that everyone had an opinion about Jesus. And 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. Everyone has an opinion about Jesus, and everyone thinks their opinion is correct. And if you don't believe me, you can walk out here today, and maybe if you go to lunch or wherever you stop, ask a random person, who is Jesus? And nine times out of ten, they're probably going to say, oh, he he was a good man, uh, a good moral teacher. There's a lot we can learn from his life that we can apply it to ours, but other than that, I, I don't know. Or maybe they'll say, I, don't, I think Jesus was a man. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't God, though. Maybe he was the archangel Michael or Lucifer's brother. And then other people say, man, he just didn't exist. He didn't exist at all. So it's important that we understand who Jesus is, because if we don't, we could end up conforming to a knowledge of Christ that isn't even biblical. So who is Jesus? Jesus at this point is like maybe frustrated with his disciples. This is the way I like to read it because it makes it more entertaining. Uh, and, he, and he looks at all of them, and he makes his question personal. And he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And you would imagine that they maybe would have talked it over as a group because they're disciples and they're a family, and they, like most normal families, you talk things through. That's not the case. It's like as soon as Jesus finished the question, Peter's like, it's you. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And, and I would have expected, like, the disciples to to maybe look at Jesus and Peter and wait for Jesus to rebuke Peter because that's what happens with Peter's life a lot. Actually, the exact opposite. Jesus affirms Peter and says, man, you've got the right answer. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. So, so Peter correctly identifies the object of, of all the Old Testament prophecies in the flesh. What a glorious moment it must have been for this guy. I mean, this was Peter who, who, who at the beginning of this gospel of Matthew, was just a normal fisherman. And Jesus pulls him out of his lifestyle and calls him to be a fisher for men. And G- Peter would see this normal Jewish man who was a carpenter, you know, grow into this apostolic messianic figure. And at this moment, he, he's aware of it. It's been revealed to him. Peter must have been like going crazy. I know I would have. But even in this glorious moment that Peter has, his life wasn't always like that. And in fact, if there's anything that we can see from this guy's life is that we occupy the same flawed, human, broken frame. In Peter's life, there's this weird pattern where he would have these glorious moments like, I'm walking on water, yeah, boom, I'm drowning, save me. And then the next like, moment of failure that we would see Peter encounter is devastating for him. Heartbreaking. You see, over here, this is Matthew chapter 16. I want you to visualize it with me. Matthew chapter 16, here's Jesus with Peter. He confesses that he's the Christ. 
We're good. Over here in the middle, we're going to call this Matthew chapter 26. This is the moment where Peter denies Christ. He doesn't do it once. He doesn't do it twice. He does it three times. So I would like to think to myself that maybe, maybe something happened in between here. Maybe Peter got mad at Jesus and was like, man, I'm done with this. I'm going, I'm going to do my own thing. Maybe Jesus didn't come through or answer a prayer, and he's like, man, I don't need you. I'm on my own. I already learned everything from you. It's actually kind of like the exact opposite. Other than a moment when Jesus lets his disciples in on what's going to happen. I'm going to die on a cross. It's okay. I'm going to come back. Peter just, he couldn't believe that. He didn't want that to happen, so he imposes his own will on God's will and says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And then Jesus gets super real. He says, Peter, to be honest with you, like, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Like, he called it. And Peter didn't want to believe it. And so the night Jesus was betrayed, he's on trial before the Pharisees. The best they got on him is blaspheming. And they want to murder him and kill him. And and I want to imagine that Peter never saw this type of intense persecution. The Bible says he's following Jesus at a distance when a young servant girl approaches him. Says, hey, I saw you with Jesus. No, you didn't. That wasn't me. Denies him one time. This next time kind of baffles me because it says that another servant girl approaches Peter. Like, why were there so many servant girls out late at night? What is a servant girl? But this little girl comes up to, to Peter and says, I saw you with that Jewish man on trial. And Peter's like, no, you didn't. You're a servant girl. Go away. And then finally, finally, just a group of innocent bystanders, not harmful, not threatening at all. They tell Peter, we know that you were with Jesus because, because we can recognize it in your accent. They knew it. And Peter said, no, it wasn't me. And the Bible gives us that extra detail that he not only cursed them, but he cursed God. And instantly he hears the rooster crow and it just comes back to him. Everything Jesus said came true. And shame and guilt. I don't even know what Peter was feeling, but it says he ran away and wept bitterly. A grown man in public ran away and wept bitterly. And where we see Peter after this is where we see a lot of ourselves. Peter just denied Christ. He's full of shame, sin, and guilt. So what does he do when he feels like he's no longer worthy to serve Christ? The same thing we do sometimes. We check out. We're done. What else can I do? He's gone. And so Peter went back to the same thing that Jesus had saved them from, fishing. And in John chapter 21, okay, so here we go. Matthew 16, Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ. Glorious moment. Right here, 10 chapters later, Matthew chapter 26, not so glorious. He denies the Christ whom he confessed was Jesus. And then in John's gospel, in John chapter 21, this is the account of what the disciples did after Jesus died and Peter had betrayed Jesus. It said they went fishing. That was their lifestyle. That's all they ever knew. What am I going to do now that I don't know Christ? Well, I'm going back fishing. Yet it was in this moment 
of, of sin and shame and, and, and guilt is where we see the resurrected Christ meet and restore Peter. The story goes a little something like this. They were, they were on a boat fishing. Terrible fishermen because they couldn't catch anything. Random guy shows up on the shore. And he says, hey, if you cast your net on the other side of the boat, uh, you'll catch some fish. Which it doesn't make sense to me because if, if like, there's no fish on like, this side of the boat, I mean, I don't think there's going to be fish on that side of the boat. I'm not a fisherman, so I don't know how it works. But the cast net on the other side of the boat, and the Bible says that they pull up so many fish that it's like the boat begins to sink, and it clicked for them. They had seen this before. Jesus had done this before, and, and, and Peter freaks out. He, he loses it. He's like, it, it's Jesus. It's the Christ. So, so the Bible says he, he jumps out and swims to shore. Logically, I would have said, man, forget the fish. Let's just, like, let's just paddle back into the shore. But Jesus says, no, I got to get out. And I, I like to think that maybe Peter thought that this time, because he was so intensely focused on Jesus, he would like run on the water. But Jesus was like, no, nah, man, you still denied me. I'm going to make you swim back. Okay, that was a good one. All right, cool. <laughs> and, and this is where, and, and it's in this moment, we got Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and Peter, unfaithful, shameful, full of sin and guilt, meets Jesus. I think this is one of the most beautiful portraits of the gospel, is that when we can work our way up to God because we're so sinful and so separated from him, he would meet us where we're at. And it's in Peter's sin and it's in Peter's failure that that's where we see Jesus meets him. And I imagine that, that it, maybe it finally begins to click to him. This is the resurrected Christ. Three days earlier, I saw him die on the cross. And Jesus would nail that shame, that guilt, that sin, that unfaithfulness to the cross and leave it there. And Peter would experience radical forgiveness, radical mercy, radical grace. Now he's looking into the Jesus that would be his source of faith when he was unfaithful. He's looking into the Jesus that would be his security when he was insecure. And then the next, this dialogue that Jesus has with Peter baffles me. It still confuses me. See, this is what I would have told Peter if I was Jesus. Thank God I'm not Jesus. I would have said, bro, what were you thinking? Like, I let you walk on water one time. You were with me, like, when we multiplied the food. I called you. Why'd you do that? No, he doesn't say that. In fact, he says, will you do it again? Doesn't even say that. He says the exact opposite. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Says it again. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, bro, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then follow me. In other words, I still want you. What an amazing encounter. What an amazing experience. What an amazing relationship Peter had from from being a regular fisherman to experiencing one of the greatest moments of grace and forgiveness with the Savior himself. So this begs the question, what what does this have to do with, with me? What does this have to do with you? 
What does this have to do with this idea that we introduced earlier? That, that if we can get it up, having a knowledge of God not being dead isn't enough to make you come alive. You have to know God personally. Peter's life was never defined by his knowledge of who Jesus is. His life was defined by his experience and his relationship with him. And if we're not careful, we can go on this, 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 this journey, if I can call it that, where we try to seek God intellectually to maybe try to reconcile an issue that we're dealing with inside. Maybe we can seek God philosophically and try to get a good grips on apologetics so we can take down the next atheist we see. And, we, and if we're not careful, we can think that those things will transform us if we place our hope in it. But that knowledge can't change you. Only God can. And it's being in a relationship and experiencing who he is that changes us from the inside out. If there's anything that we can see from Peter's life, even though Peter had a relationship with Jesus over here in Matthew chapter 16, he had a knowledge that he was the Christ, that he was the Savior. It's not until we see Peter fail miserably in Matthew chapter 26, and we see him encounter a resurrected Christ over here in John chapter 21, that that, that Jesus, whom he confessed over here to be the Christ, becomes his personal Savior. Peter went crazy. Peter came alive. It wasn't his knowledge. It was the relationship. It was the experience. It was the encounter that changed him. The greatest evidence for God not being dead is him being alive in you. And him being alive in you assures yourself and assures others. Where I see Peter is where I see my, my pre-Christian experience and my current Christian experience, if I can be honest with you. I, I grew up in a pretty religious home. Religious in the sense that like my mom would make me walk to church and then she would meet me there. Bless her soul. She was here the first service. Shout out. Uh, they can't hear me. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> And so I'd go to church every single Sunday. That was the thing. And, and I, saw, I saw an image of Jesus. I, I, I saw him nailed to the cross with his head tilted like that. You know what I'm talking about. That didn't mean anything to me. And in a Western culture, everyone knows who Jesus is. You can ask an atheist, an agnostic, or in, anybody of another religious faith, who is Jesus? And they'll probably tell you Jesus is the central figure of Christianity. And, and they're probably aware that, that he died for our sins and reconciled us to God. But that knowledge isn't enough to make us come alive. The, the devil knows that. Every single demon in hell knows that. And none of them are going to come alive because neither uh, the devil nor any demon will come into a relationship with Jesus. And so I thought to myself, because I, I, I had an awareness of Jesus, I had an awareness of God, that I was a Christian and I was good. But I wasn't. I was dead inside. Even though I, I, I grew up hearing from mom and from dad and, and from friends and family that, that God's not dead, he sure wasn't alive in me. He wasn't. And it wasn't until I came to Texas State University in the fall of 2011, the only reason I came here was to, was to get away from home uh, and, and, and pursue a, a lifestyle that I saw portrayed in, in movies and music videos. I thought that's what college was for. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and I fell short. I, I tried to go to the parties. I tried to live out the normal American college experience, and it wasn't satisfying me. 
I, I thought that that would make me come alive. And it didn't. And it was, in, it, was in my, it was in my sin, it was in my failure, it was in my shortcoming when I had to come to Jesus. And that's where he met me. And I, I, I thought to myself, like a lot of people think, man, I got to clean myself up before I come to God. I got to get life figured out before I come to Jesus. I can't come to church yet, brother, because I, no, I have no church clothes and I'm, I'm sinful. God doesn't care about that. Peter was soaking wet when he came to Jesus. And so it was in my failure, in my sin, that I met a resurrected Christ. And I exchanged all of who I was for all of who he is. And that's when I came alive. That's when I knew God wasn't dead. You couldn't stop me. The only verse I knew was John 3.16, and that was good enough for me, man. And I wouldn't even say it half the time. I would just, John 3.16, get saved. It became so real to me. And this is how Peter came to life. Peter, you would never see this guy deny Christ again. You would, you would never see him uh, succumb to persecution and fear. In fact, he would experience terrible persecution. Yet he would be the forerunner, the foundation of this church that we see birthed in Acts. And that's who God used. That's who God wanted. Peter came to life. In fact, as, as history testifies, uh, Rome under the reign of Nero, they crucified Peter. They saw Peter, they said, this is our chance. We're going to crucify him to a cross. Peter said, go ahead and do it. But please do not crucify me uh, in the same manner as my Savior. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die the same way he did. This dude knew Jesus. This dude had an encounter with Jesus. This dude had an experience with Jesus. And he wasn't going to reject it. And so even though I, I had this knowledge of Jesus, I'm now aware that, 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 that he loves me. I'm in a relationship with him. I still experience failure. In fact, even worse. Uh, I, I, still, I still fell short because I, I found myself trying to satisfy what I thought was an intellectual need on the college campus. There's, there's a lot of non-believers. So I thought to myself, if I can learn the apologetics, if I can learn the philosophy, which, by the way, I'm terrible at, maybe I could convince people into the kingdom of God. And even I, I began to seek God intellectually to reconcile heart issues, sin issues that I was dealing with. Because I thought maybe if I can do a Google search, everything will be okay. A Google search can't change you. Only God can. Only Jesus can do that. He changes us from the inside out. So I, 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 had, to, I had to seek God personally again. I had to get on my knees and cry out. I had to see what the Word said. And not so much what, what, what other people say, even though that's good. I had to seek God personally because he's a personal God, and he makes us come alive. And I want to ask you this. Where are you at today? Maybe, maybe, maybe you have an awareness like I did, a, you know, cere a cerebral awareness of who Jesus is. Like, it's here in the brain, but it's not here in the heart. Because maybe you did grow up hearing mom, dad talk about Jesus. Maybe you were aware that, you know, growing up he's not dead, but is he alive in you? Is he alive in you? He wants to come alive in you. 
And it's as simple as the same encounter that we see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, have with a broken Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love him? Do you love him? Then follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're a Christian and you're aware who Jesus is. And you might know the context behind these scriptures a lot better than I do. And, and, and maybe uh, you're walking a relationship with him. Maybe you have an awesome prayer life. You go to growth group. You're disciplined. I want to ask you this. Who is Jesus for you today? We can never uh, afford to stop asking ourselves this question. Who is Jesus today? Because how we answer this question, how we view this question, how we view Jesus changes everything about us. I, I don't know about you, but I walked in here today feeling super anxious. I'm like, man, two services, I've never done this. Jesus, you're my strength. Maybe you walked in here today feeling super sad. Who is Jesus today? He's your joy. Maybe you walked in here today uh, feeling super weak and insecure. Who is Jesus today? Your strong fortress. Maybe you walked in here today and, and you're struggling financially. You don't know how to make it. Who is Jesus today? He's your provider. What area of your life in your, in your heart right now needs resurrecting? Whatever area that is, I challenge you to look at the resurrected king. Because that's who we are, and that's who he is in us. Having a knowledge of God isn't enough to make you come alive. You need the relationship, you need the experience, you need the encounter with the resurrected Christ. Once again, the greatest evidence for God not being dead is him being alive in you. God's not dead, church. So let him come alive in you. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you, God, that you're not dead, that you bring life to our souls, God that you desire to be in a relationship with us, God. Despite who we think we are, despite what we think we have done, it's in that place where you meet us, God. It's in that place where you encounter us and restore us, Father. Today, maybe you have an awareness of who Jesus is, but you've never had this encounter. Jesus is inviting you today to come to him. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe this is you today. I want to pray for you. Will you raise your hand if you want to have this personal encounter with the resurrected Christ? Thank you. Thank you. You may lower your hands. And I want to encourage the second group. Maybe you do know who Jesus is. Maybe you're aware that you're in a relationship with him and that he's not dead. I challenge you to ask this question. Where right now in this moment do you need Jesus the most? Where do you need him to come alive? I challenge you to look to that resurrected Christ who came alive and brings us to life.
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, God, uh, for the gospel, Father. For loving us where we're at, God. And loving us enough uh, not to let us stay there, God. But restoring us and conforming us more and more. More and more to be like you, Father. God, I I pray, Father, that, that there be a grace and a faith, God. To look to you today, God, in the critical areas of our lives that need you, Father. And I pray, Father, uh, that you would encounter the same way you, you encountered Peter, God. May you continue to encounter us, God, in our sin and in our shortcoming, God. Because if there's anything that we can see from Peter's life is that we're in desperate need for a Savior. And we're desperate for a relationship with you, Father. So, God, give us the grace to continue to walk that out. And I pray, Father, as you do alone, God, may you come alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you raised your hand today, I want to encourage you, don't be in any rush to leave. We want to connect with you. We want to uh, just help you walk this out. What does it mean to be in a relationship with him? What does it mean to grow in Christ? Uh, We want to connect with you. Um, Next Sunday, we still have two services uh, 10 and 11.30. Uh, we're kicking off our Judges series, which is I'm super excited about because that video is really cool. Uh, I think Shad's preaching that. And finally, don't be in any rush to leave. Hang out, meet someone new, uh, go get lunch with a stranger. But other than that, thank you. We are dismissed. <laughs>